First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, starting in verse one. This is God's word. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. God, as we now turn our attention to your word, to hear from you what you have said, I'm just reminded of the song we just sang. Would you sanctify us then, Lord, through it? Would you purify us, Lord, like the dross off of of a refinery? Would you purify us In spirit and in truth, we pray. God, we're asking something of you that we cannot do ourselves. So Lord, would you move upon us, show us from your word, your grace, your sufficiency, your abundance, your kindness. Show us, Lord, what you are like. And by your grace, Lord, and for your glory, we may live differently. Help us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a little story. Uh, There once was a young man who would drive very long distances to attend church. And the church that he would attend was so large that he, he wasn't able to be shepherded. So on his drive there, he would listen to preachers who he never knew, he's never met. He would go and, and listen to a man that he maybe has talked to for five seconds. But there's thousands of people he can't have FaceTime with him. And then he would drive home listen, listening to more sermons, hungry to hear the word. Now, this little story I'm telling you is an autobiography. <laughs> this is my story. And I remember, I look back at that time when I went to church, I went to a place that was so big, so large. Now, they preached the word, but I didn't know that pastor. I didn't know him from Adam. He didn't know me. Maybe, I think actually he maybe would have known me. He maybe would have said, hey, Daniel, how are you? <laughs> and I don't knock him. I don't knock him at all. You know why? Because he had 1,000, probably 2,000 people to attend to week after week. And I was certainly not the one he should have been attending to week by week. But I, I, that, was, that was a real anomaly for me. When I, when I went to, I found a church then that I could, I could 
listen to the pastor, talk to me face to face. And it wasn't just some like random, this guy knew me. It hit differently. <laughs> because, and then, then not only would he speak to me from the pulpit and know me, then we would sit down face to face and he would know me and speak the truth to me. And in doing college ministry and in other things, I, I find that there's a temptation as Christians, especially Christians in the West. You can pull up your phone in any moment and listen to a preacher a thousand times better than me. I know that. I not only know that, I feel that. I feel the weight of that. But here's the difference. That pastor, whoever he may be, though he may be great, you can pull up and listen to John Piper this morning. He's better than me. I promise. But there's one big difference between John Piper and me. And this is what I learned in that experience of driving to Morgantown and then learning sitting under a pastor who knew me. Here's the big difference between listening to John Piper and listening to me. I know you. He has no clue. I, listen to, I love John Piper. I listen to sermons all the time. I do, do not hear me say, Pastor said we shouldn't listen to anybody else. That's not what Pastor's saying. I love listening to other pastors. But there's a temptation, at least I felt it. When I first started going to the church, that the pastor knew me. He would speak to me in such ways at times, which was exactly what I needed to hear. And I didn't always like to hear it. And that's the difference. Do you see the difference? In our Western society where we can pick and choose a pastor every morning. You can listen to Tim Keller this morning. Beyond the grave, you can still listen to Tim Keller this morning. He's way better of a pastor, as a preacher, than I am. But there's one huge difference. He doesn't know you. He can never know you. You can never know him. And that's, that's almost a very sobering reality because part of the role of a pastor, of an elder, of, of, of a leader within the church, and we're going to look at the, what that is today. We talked about last week um, what's required of elders and pastors, mainly that they be men who are upright. They be men who are godly men. And, and everything we saw last week is applied to you. There's nothing, that we, there's nothing that we talked about last week that does not apply to every church member at some level. But today, we're going to talk about something that's not necessarily applied to you. Now, you may think, well, this has nothing to do with me. I can just check out. No, don't check out. There are many, many, many things that are going to mean something for you. Mainly, your accountability of me. I want to hear that. I want you to hear that again. I want you to know what God's Word says of a pastor so that when you see me go contrary to it, you don't say, hmm, I wonder if this is normal. Should this be how a pastor is? No. You can look at me and say, brother, brother, I love you. Look at God's Word. This is not what it says, okay? So it's very important. It's very important that we hear God's Word today. But Peter wrote his letter at a time that people, that the, the people he was writing to in the dispersion, we're told, in the dispersion of uh, Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, those people were very confused. They were very confused and they were also very persecuted, discouraged by persecution, battled and beaten by the world. And Peter tells them, this is what the shepherd among you should be like. So we should hear this. Don't, don't hear this as some add-on addition. Hear this. What he- we're hearing today is central to the church. 
It's central to the body of Christ, and it's simply this. If you're taking notes there, it's at the very top. It's that shepherds serve the church by leading in the mission of God for the glory of God by tending to the people of God through the Word of God and prayer. Now, that's a very… Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Every every week that it… Yeah, if you can read that, let me know. That's really impressive. You have beyond 2020 vision. Sorry. It's on your it's on your sheet there in front of you. Yeah, everyone write that down. <laughs> oh man. That's the best statement I've ever written there, by the way, just so you know. Yeah, you just can't see it or read it. So it's the best one though. You missed it. So uh yeah, you can hear it though. Yeah, thank you. But it's there in front of you. So shepherds serve the church by leading in the mission of God for the glory of God, by tending the people of God through the word of God and prayer, okay? But I want to say this, that Bible-centered, joy-filled pastors create healthy churches. I want to say that one more time. Bible-centered, joy-filled pastors create healthy churches. And the opposite is true. Worldly, joyless pastors create unhealthy churches. I can guarantee you, in every place that there is a healthy church, it did not just happen that way. That God, somewhere along the way, put a healthy, joy-filled, Bible-centered pastor in their midst. And praise be to God that he does that. So I want you to notice, jump down in verse, verse 1 of chapter 5. And listen to what Peter, the Apostle Peter, like we heard this morning in John 20, 21, that same guy, hear what he says to the other elders. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. That's very important. Notice even in that small sentence, he doesn't say, hey, you who listen to the podcast guy driving down the road, there's nothing wrong with podcasts. Do not hear me say, you should listen to other preachers. Hear me that. That is, that is good and right. But that's not what he's exhorting here. He says, so I exhort the elders among you, or, or to be very southern, to be among y'all, all y'all, okay? The elders that are among all y'all. He's encouraging. Notice even that word he uses. He doesn't say, I command you. He says, I exhort you. This isn't a command. He's saying, he's teaching, even in what he's saying, what he's saying about a pastor. This is how a pastor ought to be. He's not commanding. He's saying, you don't have to do this, but you really ought to do this. I exhort you in this direction. Notice even to who he's writing. If you look back at verse, verse 1 of chapter 1, who he's writing to. They're very particular people. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatius, Galatia, Galatius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You know who he's not writing to? Everybody outside of those places. He's writing to them particularly. And when you hear this, when he says, so I exhort the elders among you, he's not talking, he's not saying, hey, the elder there in Pontus, make sure you shepherd the town of Pontus. No. He's saying shepherd the, shepherd the people in Pontus. <laughs> shepherd the people in Galatia. Shepherd the people in Cappadocia. <laughs> He's saying as a fellow elder, or as one who shepherds the people of God, even with his apostolic role, shepherd them. This is the huge distinction between the universal church 
and the local church. And, and Peter actually puts it really well. He's an apostle. We're still reading his words. So that's the universal church. Everyone's still reading 1 Peter chapter 5. But he, he argues, you all shepherd those amongst you. Not, not in some, I'm not, the, I'll put it like this. I'm not the pastor of Kaiser, okay? I may love the people of Kaiser. I may love, I love our neighbor, Jason. He's a good friend of mine. I'm not his pastor. You know who I'm pastor? I'm pastor of those who are part of this body and nobody else, nobody else. Only those who are under the oversight of the local church. Now, this is a hard lesson for the generation that's growing up right now. And it was a hard lesson for me to learn. Coming from a church, a huge church, to somewhere that was little, itty-bitty. And pastor, when he spoke to me, he spoke to me directly. (laughs) That's a lot different. It's a local body of believers that he's exhorting. Listen to what he says again in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. Now notice also what he says. As a fellow elder. So here's the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter, that is. We're still reading his writings. But he says, I not only serve as an apostle... I'm also a fellow elder. So he not only wrote Holy Scripture, he also shepherded a flock. That's pretty profound. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I want you to think about even in this first verse. Peter, the same one who stood and denied Christ three times, is the same one who eventually Jesus came to and said, feed my sheep. And he's saying, all you elders, you're going to struggle in the same way, but feed my sheep. Feed Jesus' sheep. So last week, so I I gave this chart last week. I think it's helpful. Uh, But we look at who a pastor is. So last week, we covered personal, family, relational, integrity. Those four quadrants have to do with everybody, okay? Those are things we could have applied just as easily to everybody. But today, the two that I want to focus in on is the word-oriented and the desire. Now, again, these two categories of word-oriented, so he's faithful to the word, he's able to teach, he exhorts doctrine, he refutes error, that's not something everybody needs to do. That's something that the pastor elder is the one who's meant to do, or the desire. So he's spirit-motivated, he has a godly desire, he's eager to serve, he's not reluctant. These are not things that are required of everybody but they are required of pastor. So I want to look today, very simply, at what does a pastor do? Who is he? We figured out who he is. What does he do? What's he supposed to do? And I want to look at the necessary skills, the necessary skills to be a pastor. What does a pastor elder do? Notice what Peter then says in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flo- which is an imperative, do this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now that word, that word we you typically use, and I said this last week, but I'll clarify. The word pastor is actually not used in the Bible. The word pastor is the Latin rendering of that word shepherd, okay? So we don't see the word pastor ever in the New Testament, but I think we have a decent sense of the word. He says, shepherd, or pastor, is to shepherd, is to oversee, is to be an elder. All three are synonymous, okay? So he says again, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And now notice the other piece to it. This is how you do it. 
exercising oversight. And so this, what I want you to see is shepherd, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. And it's to exercise oversight. So what does it mean to be an overseer? That's simple enough. Like, okay, shepherd the flock of God. Sounds great. But what does it mean to be an overseer? Dave McGrew, and again, these, these sermons have been kind of out of order, but I'll encourage you to go back and listen to a message he gave on Hebrews 13, 17. It was really exceptional. It was really good. I wish I could have, again, sometimes God's providence makes me look good. Sometimes God's providence makes me look really silly. This one's where I'm really silly, okay? Go back and listen to his sermon, though, at some point. I'd really encourage you because to exercise oversight is as Hebrews 13 says, and this is where he, what he preached on, obey your leaders and submit to them. Here's why. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Think about that for a second. He exhorts them, obey your leaders and submit to them for this reason. Let me get very earthy, very practical for you. I will have to stand before God and be judged once for me, okay? But then as a pastor, and every pastor you've ever had, you will ha- he will have to stand there for a second time and be judged for all those who were a part of his gathering. Now, this is not just, I want to be very clear here. This is not just for someone, so if Joe Schmo from Kokomo comes in, that's the, that's the again, I, I, whatever. If someone random off the street comes in, I am not going to give an account for his soul. I want to say that one more time. Someone random comes in off the street. I will not give, a, not give an account for his soul. You know why? Because he's not a part of our gathering. He hasn't committed himself to the body of believers. A shepherd, I want you to think about this. And I actually have a picture here. Again, I'm a very illustrative learner. But a pastor, this is like what I got off Wikipedia. So here's a pastor, right? But a pastor's staff, I think, is actually really helpful to consider the role of a pastor. And, and on two ends, there's actually two ends that are very important for a pastor. The first end, and this is for a shepherd, literally a shepherd's staff. On the one end, there's a crook or like a little hook thing. And on that end, they would actually use that to pull sheep back, okay? So that's, that's very helpful. I think we know typically... That's part of what it means to be a pastor. Pastor is meant to be bringing in, bringing in and keeping in the wandering sheep. But the other end of the stick, we never look at the other end of the stick. And there's something at the other end of the stick, sometimes at least they would use it, called a goad. Anyone know what a goad is? I didn't know what a goad was until I had to look this up. But Ecclesiastes 12:11 talks about this goad, and it talks about the goad. It's literally just a pointy stick like a pointy nail they would put at the end. And that goad was used, listen to Ecclesiastes 12, 11. It says, the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed to the, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So we see it again, that connection. The goad is meant to be the thing that, that kind of pricks, kind of hurts a little bit. The end of the staff was used to direct the sheep, but also correct the sheep. Now again, this is not... I want to be very careful because this does not mean, well, pastor now has license to, to correct me however. <laughs> this person, you have bad breath. And like, no, no, no. This is not what we're talking about. God's word, when we stand over God's word and preach God's word, 
it does two things simultaneously. It cuts us, as Hebrews 4 4 says, but it heals us. And in the same way, that shepherding staff, this is what the role of a pastor is. He's to bring in the sheep with the crook, but he's also to use the the shepherd's staff to correct. Now, if I were writing the Bible, I would not put that there. I would not put these kind of things here. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, and then he's going to talk about what that staff is supposed to look like. What kind of a staff should it be? If I was writing the Bible, it would have said, here's five tips for being a pastor. That's not what the Bible says, though. Peter qualifies the kind of oversight that a pastor should have. And notice what he says. Jump down to verse 2, what he says. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So the first piece is the willing oversight. They're to be willing. And I would argue for the pastor, this is guarding us as a body and me as a pastor from laziness. It's guarding us because compulsion is the kind of twisting of someone's arm that Pastor, you, you really should go do this. Arm twisting is, is what we do to people who really don't want to partake in something. But it's not characteristic of pastors. It better not be. This is why we don't ask or beg people to be pastors. It's something they want to do. And even if they can't point to why I want to do this, they know they want to do it. They want to do it. They want to oversee people. So that's the first piece. That's a pretty simple one. Here's the second one. They're eager. So I'm not just a pastor who's walking around with my staff, poking people and pulling people back. I first need to be one who's willing, but I'm also eager. Eager oversight. And this is guarding against greed. This other qualification is that they're doing it eagerly. This is not a pastor who's seeking their own gain. Rather, they're seeking the welfare of other people. This is exactly what Paul talks about when he says to the Thessalonian believers. Listen to what he says. He was delayed in coming to them. Listen to how the Apostle Paul spoke of his eagerness. He says, For what is our hope or joy or a crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at, at his coming? Is it not you? Wait, What? <laughs> Jesus, Paul literally says there that when Jesus comes, his joy and crown will be people. See, because he says, for you are our glory and our joy. Every pastor ought to be able to say that. Every pastor had better not be saying he loves the position God has put him in. He loves the pay he's receiving. He loves the perks of being an apostle. He could have said all those things. He doesn't say any of them. He says, His joy in the believers before Christ is his greatest pleasure. And that is what it means to be an elder, a pastor. It's eager oversight. Notice again what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey your leaders in the Lord and submit to them. That's the piece we always hate to hear. Here's the reason again. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Then the end of verse 17. Let them do this with joy not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's a way, and Dave McGrew really did well with this. 
I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but there's a way we can make pastors groan. And if you talk to any pastors, you can hear very quickly what makes a pastor groan. And I'll say it's very simply these three things. It's mean sheep, it's wandering sheep, and it's quarrelsome sheep. And that's not quarrelsome with him, okay? The mean sheep are the sheep that bite. Praise God, I have not had mean sheep. Praise be to God, I don't have mean sheep. But I can tell you I know pastors that do. And this bothers them more than anything. Or, or wandering sheep. Well, there's a one pastor in particular, he's an older guy, and he says what bothers him most is knowing people who just don't attend for some reason. Not the ones who are wandering away, but the ones who are slowly wandering away. That bothers him more than anything. And he's a very older man. I really appreciate his insight. But the second one is, the third one is the quarrelsome sheep. They're just fighting with one another. These are the three things that grieve a pastor. I could probably give you more, but... So it's eager. So they're willing, willing oversight. It's eager oversight. Let me give you the last one. It's exemplary oversight. Notice what he says again in verse 3. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples in the flock, to the flock. Let me say that one more time. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This last one is guarding against power. That phrase for domineering is the same phrase that Jesus talks about later, and he says, lording, when he talks about lording it over people. And this is one of the main reasons why it's so grievesome to have a pastor who, who beats the sheep. Not physically, not literally, but spiritually. It is such a shame when pastors step outside of the Word of God and beat the sheep with their own pet peeves. Jesus, listen to how Jesus talked about this kind of leadership. Mark 10, 42 through 43. He says, you know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles. There it is again lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it not, shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a, your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. The pastor is to be the exemplar of the one who gives his life as, an, as, as a ransom. But he doesn't do it from the back. See, here's the, here's the big difference. He doesn't do it from the back. He leads from the front. But he does it in a Christ, Christocentric way. Christ-formed way. Notice even what Jesus does. So Jesus says this. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. But when he's saying that, notice just a few verses sooner. In verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. I want, you to hear, I want you to think about that for a second. Here's Jesus saying, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. Where's he at? He's up front, leading his way to, to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them, and he was walking to his own death. In the same way, pastors are to lead. He was leading the way in a moment, being the most servant-minded he could have been, saying to them, I'm going to die. And they missed it. But he's not domineering them. He's leading them, but it's by example. 
Now, I want you to notice, too, jump back to verse 3, what he says. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, that phrase, to those in your charge, yeah, yeah, not being examples to those, uh, not domineering over those in your charge. Again, this is, this is not to all people in your, flo- in, in your town. This is for those people who are your lot, those people who are a part of your church. I cannot simply just walk into another church and tell that church what to do. You know why? Because I'm not their pastor. I'm not the bishop over the area. (laughs) I am the pastor of this local church. I'm responsible for those who are committed and agreeing to be a part of the body. Okay, so I want us to consider... We're wrapping up. I'm taking way too long. I'm sorry. Um, So I want us to consider. So that's what they're supposed to be. It's willing oversight. It's exemplary oversight. And it's finally, it's exemplary oversight. But I want you to notice, too, the tools that we use to do this. A pastor ought not to be able to just use whatever tool he jolly well please. The pastor ought to have the tools that Scripture gives him. So Acts 6, we looked at it last week. So it's the tools of the trade. How does a pastor elder accomplish this? Now he says, and again, we saw it last week. Remember, there's a huge, in in Acts 6, there's a big issue. The people are being neglected. There's widows being neglected. But listen to what the pastors say. The, the, The apostles, pastors, elders, this is what they say. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, in that moment when they do that, they're not saying it's wrong to serve tables. They're saying if we neglect the word to serve tables, there's a priority to this word, to the word. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's the two tools. They're very simple. But the word of God and prayer. Now, people will sometimes ask, well, which, which tool which tool is most important? And that's like asking which, which wing of the plane is most important on a plane. Uh, they both are. You cut one off, the thing's going down. But let me ask a question. What, what authority, have you ever considered this? What authority does a pastor have in the life of members? What authority does he have? And I would argue that he only has authority inasmuch as the Word of God has authority. I want to say that one more time. He only has authority inasmuch as the Word of God has authority. So I want you to see the Word of God, the authority to care for the flock. Now, we, we in our society, we hate the word authority. I did a survey a couple years ago, surveyed five different people, five unbelievers from my circle of influence. And every single one of them cited poor authority as the reason why they don't go to church. Every single one of them. And I would actually say, that's actually so indicative of our own area. Go ask. Go ask your neighbors. Why don't you go to church? And they would say, because I don't believe in the authority. I don't believe in the authority that's given to pastors. And I would say that a pastor doesn't have authority in and of himself. But he has authority in as much as he's being faithful in the Word. Notice what... Paul tells Timothy in another place. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. To reprove is to examine carefully. To rebuke is to speak seriously and to warn. And exhorting is to encourage or call to one side. When the world, word of God is wielded by the shepherd, then the sheep grow to be more like the chief shepherd. Simply, if I'm doing my job, you won't be more like me. You'll be more like Jesus. Praise be to God that that's what, how it works. But there's something, there's something, though, that's amiss in this, or there's something that we need to consider that the Word does in us. And I would argue that it does what 2 Timothy, then he warns about. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Do you know why? And again, I, I love Tim Keller. I listen to Tim Keller's sermons. But why someone like Tim Keller, who's now dead, rest his soul, I like Tim Keller, why his podcasts will get 10,000 more likes than maybe someone's own pastor in their own church? You know why? Because what we can do is we can go find teachers that suit our own passions. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, be, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So the Word of God, one of the things it's going to produce in us is humility. It's humility toward one another. Now, humility toward one another, humility is not about trying to seek, a, a, humility is not like a big bucket of humility. We don't just like slather humility on ourselves. But as we submit ourselves to the Word of God, week after week after week after week after week, what happens in us is humility. God does it in us. We don't become humble in ourselves, which is why He then says in, in 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And again, this isn't being subject to people who are lording it over them. They're saying, be subject to those who are teaching the Word to you. And the reason I would argue they use younger men there is that younger men have the tendency of rejecting authority in their lives. But if Peter can say to the younger men that we should submit to pastors, then it should be much more true of all of us. Jude addresses the same thing. And he puts among those who blaspheme the glorious ones, those who also reject authority. But Peter tells us, likewise, you who are younger, submit to the, to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's the beauty. The pastor, week after week after week after week after week, submits himself to what the Word of God says. He submits himself to the chief shepherd. He submits himself to the church as a whole. The whole church is the one, the body is the one that he submits himself to. But then those who are younger are to be submissive to the word of God through the lips of an elder. Listen to one of the great warnings that Paul tells Timothy in the same, same, same letter. 
He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you know what he tells him? Preach the word. Because the word levels them all. It's not the pastor. It's not his ability to to, to be charismatic or to be all the things we think it is. The word of God levels them all. The word of God humbles them all. The word of God cuts them with the double-edged sword, wounding and healing. So that's the word of God. That's what it does. It brings humility toward one another. Secondly, here's the other instrument. It's the Word of God and prayer. Prayer, which is the responsibility of care for the flock. It's the responsibility of care for the flock. Prayer is the aspect of the shepherd's staff that brings the sheep back. And I can attest to this. The thing that bothers me most are people who've wandered away from Jesus. Of all the things, I, being called names doesn't bother me. But what bothers me week, not just week after week, but just even my life, in the course of my ministry, and you talk to somebody older, I talk to a guy who's actually probably getting close to retirement, you talk to him, and you hear what bothers him most. It's not even how treat, sheep treat him. It's the fact that sheep wander from the shepherd. Those are the things that that, that burden him more than anything. Notice then what, what Paul, in another place, Paul will say. Paul tells them, he warns the Ephesian elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you an overseer, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now notice what he then says. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You know, there's nothing outside this church building that can harm our body. Did you know that? I want to say that one more time. There's nothing outside this, like maybe persecution, it would harm us in some ways, but it would not destroy us. The thing over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament, you can look it up. I I could give you a hundred different places to look at. The thing that is bothersome to pastors and elders are false teachers, which always arise from within. I want to say that one more time. They always, not maybe not always, mainly arise from within. And so part of the prayer piece is protection against false teaching. So I want to close with this. So the Word of God is the instrument but also the prayer also prayer is another instrument and in the word of god we have humility toward one another and in prayer it's protection against false teaching but i want you to see that this is not where peter just leaves it he gives us hope he gives me hope and he gives you hope i want you to hear it at the end i want you to see hope for the coming of christ and the question is what should we expect jesus the one who has bought, just like children. You know, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. 
being a pastor is kind of like being a dad, kind of. My children aren't mine. You know, God gave them to me. You know, like, obviously they're mine. Obviously, you could do a DNA test and be like, yeah, Daniel, they are your children. But they're not my children. They are not my children. They are God's gift to me to steward for His glory. And in the same way, none of you are mine. Not one of you are mine. That actually should be really liberating. Like, well, good, Daniel's not our dad. Like, great, awesome. But what it also means is that Jesus himself bought you with his blood. So when I deal with you, know that I realize and I remember you're not mine. You are Jesus's. He bought you. He's the one who died. He's the one who's raised. And he's the one who's coming back again. And so when I deal with you, when I, when I bring the word to you, when I pray for you, know that I remember that. Know that I realize and remember that Jesus is coming and he's going to come one day for his sheep. And he's going to ask me, how'd you do, Daniel? How faithful were you, Daniel? So if there's ever something you're like, man, pastor, you're terrible. <laughs> In this area, you're awful. I just tell you, pray for me. Please pray for me. Pray for me often. But I want you to hear, finally, just as, as we close, the promise to shepherds. So it's hope for the coming of Christ, but it's the promise to shepherds. Notice what he says in 1 Peter 5 again. 1 Peter 5, 4, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, notice that again. He's not saying, I'm the chief shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm a workman to the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, meaning he's coming again, you, that's referring to the pastor elder, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, the unfading crown of glory, just think, when you think about that, think about the, the Athenian kind of Olympic-style, like, crown that they would put on people. And this creates several things in me, and I think in you as well. I'll say first, it creates in me a so, somber awareness that everything I do will be answerable on the day of judgment. Here's second. Here's the other thing it would do for you. Maybe you sit there and you think, well, Daniel, I've been wronged by this pastor and that pastor and this pastor and that pastor, and I want to give you some comfort. They're going to give an answer for what they did. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that pastors have wronged sheep at certain points, and one day it will all shake out when the chief shepherd appears. And then thirdly, I want to give you this implication, that a pastor is bound by Scripture. So by, all, so by all means, go to him with your request to do things differently. But know that I'm bound by the Scripture. Know that. So let me give you the last promise. So it's hope for the coming of Christ. It's a promise to shepherds, but it's also a promise to sheep. Notice what he says again in verses 4 and 4 and 5. Yeah, four and five. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when he gives us the grace, just like we just sang about, grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin, here's the promise to sheep. It's the salvation of your souls. First Peter, you can look at all the promises in First Peter, but here's, another, here's just one for you. First Peter 1, 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Remember that shepherds serve the church best by leading the church in the mission of God, for the glory of God, by tending to the people of God through the Word of God and prayer. Let's pray.